Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on talk radio. Too many children to care for. Too many jobs to manage. Well, never fear. Help is here in the shape of the Matthew Wright podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on talk radio. There are still very many dark areas to examine in this story. I wanted to really look at the mental health aspects here because I think, as I said in my introduction, there are so many areas of concern, so many uh, patterns perhaps we should look at, so many practices that need addressing. And so I've invited Rachel Kelly, uh, one of uh, SANE's ambassadors, the mental health charity, and author of Singing in the Rain, 52 Practical Steps to Happiness. I've invited Rachel on um, to talk us through uh, some of the concerns I might have and indeed some of the concerns you might have listening right now. And I'm delighted to say Rachel's on the line now. Good afternoon to you. Afternoon. (sighs) Gosh, gosh, gosh. Um... Where do we start? It's really hard to know where to start. I, I agree. It's, it's, um, I think everybody's if, felt that. If I was to say, when I got the news on Friday, on Saturday, Saturday. Right, on Saturday uh, my first comment to my wife was that I wasn't the least surprised, which is a fairly damning indictment of the situation that Caroline Flack had found herself in, I guess. Yes, I mean, the... the I don't know, you know, intimately what was happening. I don't think anybody probably did know what was happening for her, what was happening for Caroline. There did seem to be some warning lights. She had talked about her ongoing battle with anxiety and depression. She had talked about some of her issues with medication and antidepressants. She talked about the idea that antidepressants can mask the sadness, but they may also uh, diminish the happiness. And there's a feeling that she was under great pressure. Um, We know in serious depression and serious uh, ongoing depression that it's normally a range of factors that can lead to somebody taking their own life. And it it does seem that she had quite a lot of the different pressures building up. A combination of... I've been fairly circumspect about my own situations, but I have in the last 18 months stared into the abyss of not knowing whether I was going to have a job or ever work again, of seeing relationships, very close relationships, collapse and break down around inside me, have suffered, as the listeners will know, to, to, to their peril, I guess, that I, I've suffered with insomnia often, well, mainly, mainly on, really, for the last 18 months. And it's pretty tough yeah. out there. And, and, I, and I have to say that uh, I, I think there are question marks for um, all employers in, in the modern age. And, and one of the things Kevin and I have been wrestling with is, is whether or not it is right to suspend someone or remove someone from a job, a TV programme, any job really, when they've been arrested for something but not convicted of anything. I mean, we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And it must have been a devastating uh, experience for Caroline, I think, to, to, to lose Love Island so dramatically. 
Yes, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, when we're talking about the sort of range of pressures, it, you touched on some of your own issues there. And if you look at the Royal College of Psychiatrists website and they look at the kind of uh, triggers, pressures that do lead to, as I say, this very intense kind of uh, suicide, suicidal depression, uh, relationship breakdown. So, so Caroline had to deal with that. Uh, pressures at work, uh, as you say, uh, that, that very public humiliation. Yes. Um, it- I think... Uh, you know, um, there's something there around genetics. We don't know whether that's a, a, a contributory factor. So there's uh, major life events. Uh, again, um, Caroline, you know, lot, lots happening in yeah. in her sort of personal life. Um, I think you put your finger on it. It's a business about employment and, you know, it, it, it is different for obviously yourself and, and somebody like Caroline who's living out a life in the public eye. And I, I think that is an extra, a, a really important extra pressure so um i myself have suffered two serious depressive episodes and was hospitalized and was indeed suicidal but um not to diminish what happened to me it, it was it was a private experience yeah. so if you're you're dealing with a, a serious illness but you're also dealing with how that's playing out in the public eye so you've got a double whammy there how you're actually coping and what's helping strategies but also how are you engaging uh, with that story publicly? And, and I think that's a very, uh, a very uh, kind of extra challenge. And there's yeah. probably there about uh, showbiz employers, TV employers. Uh, you know, the rules for employers are not going to be the same for everybody. And I, I do think there's something there that uh, the extra pressure has got to be acknowledged now. On that tack, um, Rachel, c- um, can we talk about Love Island? Uh, there are now four suicides that that right? connected four? with this programme. Yeah, there's uh, um, uh, Sophie Graydon, a former contestant, Mike uh, Thalassitis, a former contestant, and Sophie Graydon's boyfriend, uh, Aaron Armstrong, went on to kill himself because of uh, her problems. So this is a programme, now with um, Caroline as well, this is a programme that is surrounded by these really grim stories. Uh, I know it's not your area of expertise, but from a mental health aspect what do you think ITV should do about this well um i i know that um you know producers do look into people's mental health before accepting them on these sorts of shows and in theory they do have psychological support and guidance and i think that heart uh psychologists and psychiatrists talk about integration so this is the idea that your your sort of inner and your outer self are aligned and that you're, you have a sort of integrated personality. Um, I think the inevitable pressure of shows like Love Island is that there's a split between your interior life and your exterior life. And, you know, the requirement of the show is to have a certain kind of exterior life. So, um, you know, some of the things that Caroline was actually brilliant at, you know, um, a very positive outlook, yep. cheerful, yep. obviously looking gorgeous. Um, but actually... Um, we also know that, that what we assume makes us happy, so kickboxing, you know, you look fabulous, um, you, you, you have what many people would perceive to be worldly success, um, being on television, um, fame. Um, but actually, of course, we know that if you actually look at what really uh, tends to make us happy, uh, these are not, there's not necessarily a dovetailing, a lining up uh, between this sort of the outer signs and the inner signs. And, and I think that's a a really huge pressure. I think that's quite profound what you've said. I think that's quite profound. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio. 
And you know news, right? And then there's fake news. And uh, we've heard an awful lot about fake news with the rise of the social media and the internet of bots, Russian bots, American bots, right-wing bots, Israeli <laughs> bots. I don't know what to make of it. One man, though, decided to, um, to stem the uh, tide of misinformation. His name is Ben Nimmo. He's, uh, he fights fake news uh, through uh, his, uh, his, uh, his investigations, a film called Graphica. And um, unsurprisingly, he's had to pay a price himself, including reading of his own death in his obituaries. Uh, I'm delighted to say Ben joins us on the line now. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I, I saw you, I, was, I think it was an article in the New Yorker I, I first saw of you, and uh, you're obviously a, a much braver man than I. What, what made you start, Ben? I used to be a journalist, um, and I was in Baltic States in the early 2000s, right. and I saw the kind of almost wild west of disinformation that was happening there. Um, and it was, it was interesting, and it was fascinating, and it was scary. Um, I learned early on that it could have a real-world impact, because mm. um, I'm a journalist uh, covering the riots in town in April 2007 in Estonia, where you had uh, mainly ethnic riots because the Estonian government was relocating the war memorial. Right. Uh, and everything out of hand, and I got isolated from the other journalists. I ended up getting my nose broken by a demonstrator. Um, who basically quoted some lines of Kremlin propaganda at me and then headbutted me in the face. Um, so that that was kind of my my moment of learning that that the stuff that you see online can have a real world impact, and in this case, the impact on the bridge of my nose. <laughs> One of the things that um, I, I sort of it's struggling in my own mind to sort of rationalise, I suppose, is the fact that newspapers have been guilty of peddling fake news for as long as newspapers have been in newsprint, and something social media. We, 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 we seem less bothered about it when it was in newspapers, which one thought would carry a sort of seal of approval. Um, and now, when it's on social media run by God knows who, it seems to have more credence in a funny way. But it's probably because there's so much of it. I think that's right. And, and there's the democratisation of information yes. on social media, um, which kind of cuts both ways. I mean, you know, you, you have to be fair. There are so many good stories on social media, you know, the, the kindness, the generosity, the viral pleas for help for somebody who needs a kidney and, and they tweet yes, it and three yes. hours later they got one kind of thing. So that there's an enormous potential in social media, but anywhere you get an information system where anyone can post anything, somebody is going to post anything and that's going to include the trolls and the malicious actors and the bad actors who just want to cause trouble. And that, yeah, that's been around as long as there's been yeah. the press, frankly. No. Um, but the, th the thing with social media is at, at least when you have a newspaper, you can see like the back of the newspaper, Absolutely. you know where it's coming from. It's, it's when you can steal somebody else's profile picture and you can steal somebody else's name and you can make fake posts and nobody knows where it's actually coming from. <laughs> yeah. Now, could, could you maybe, uh, by way of example, um, cite a couple of fake news stories that you've busted? Um, so I mean, the, 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 the one of my own death was one which was particularly entertaining. Um, <laughs> so I... Back in August 2017, you have the Sharpsville neo-Nazi march in yes. the U.S. Uh, a demonstrator gets, uh, sorry, a counter demonstrator yes. gets killed, and very soon after, the far right in the U.S. starts saying, "Oh well, the Americans are supporting neo-Nazis in Ukraine, so they should be supporting us too." Who knew that the far right in the U.S. could even find Ukraine on a map? I suspect they can't. So that, they, they probably can't. That was not at that stage, anyway. So that, that we worked out that was a line that they had picked up straight from Kremlin propaganda. So we reported on that as an interesting phenomenon. Um, a local news outlet in the U.S. picked up on that and they started getting harassed by what were clearly bots. So they had thousands of accounts retweeting the same hostile message. And we're talking like 23,000 accounts 
So me and my team looked at that and we thought, this is a bit odd. We know this botnet, we've seen it before, because the botnet contained like a couple of hundred thousand accounts in it, but they only had maybe a hundred profile pictures to go around. <laughs> and so we kept on seeing the same profile pictures. And the thing was, it was profile pictures we'd seen before, we'd seen like the, the month before, where they'd been used to harass a journalist who was quitting the Kremlin, clothing the Kremlin. So we put two and two together and said, look, this looks like a botnet which is being used to harass critics of the Kremlin. We published that and the botnet came for us. They did a, they, they copy pasted my boss's Twitter profile and um, sort of background picture, created a fake account with those on them and posted news that I was dead. They tagged me and all my friends in that post and then wow. they amplified it with 13,000 bots so that we just kept on getting these notifications. Where, what, what is the... What is the end game, Ben? What are these people after? There are, there are various different reasons people do this. One of them is just money. If you can post a sensational story and people are going to click on it, then you make advertising revenue. Mm. It can be that simple. And a lot of what we but saw... Write in this down, Kevin. This could come in handy. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 no, if, if, the real, if the real advertising is working, just make a yeah, yeah. story. Um, you do get people who are doing it for political means. So, so a lot of the trolling I get comes from political uh, activists, political outlets who disagree with 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 what I'm finding. And so and it, it can't possibly be that. So Nimmo must be a liar and therefore they'll come at me. Um, and then quite often you get this kind of intersect between, if you like, the, the, the geopolitical stuff and the commercial stuff. So you'll get somebody will post a you know a tweet for geopolitical reasons. And then you'll see that like a commercial botnet starts amplifying it. You know, you can find online people who will who will sell you as a service. I can sell you ten thousand retweets for fifteen dollars, whatever. And so you get this weird intersection between the commercial side and the political side. Yeah, and they tend to actually amplify each other. It's interesting how even real leading political correspondents, they want to break the news as quickly as possible. And I worry that sometimes they're not checking stories as the source comes in because the newspapers aren't the news anymore. They're not written over a 12, 14-hour period. It's all, rolling. It's all opinion yeah, and commentary, yes. hence why we have this discourse, which is debate now. So I think even sensible people can make mistakes Laura on Twitter. Laura Kinsberg and Robert Peston exactly. got caught out just before Christmas, didn't yeah. they, repeating fake news about on the, on the election campaign? campaign trail at a hospital. That's right. And there have been various different cases where somebody's done a, let's say, a better than average fake and people have fallen for it. Um, and at that point, I mean, yeah, it's it's the pressure that the journalists are under, particularly the wire journalists. You have to file before everybody else. Yes. And so maybe you cut corners and you don't fact check. And that's where it becomes really important. Actually, what does the outlet do when that happens? What are you going? Is the reaction, you know, take down the story, or you publish a correction, you publish an update, or do you just leave it to stand and you double down on it? And something we've seen, particularly from Kremlin outlets, repeatedly, is that they will pick up on what turn out to be forgeries, and the most they'll do will be put at the bottom of the story. Yeah. Oh yeah, person who posted this now denies that they did. <laughs> now denies everybody. Not can, really can, a correct. No. Ben, can I can I ask you? Um, how sinister these players are. I mean, you've read your own obituary, but do you fear for your life? I mean, would it go that... Could it go that far? Uh, I mean, you know, touching on wood, when yeah. I... Spoke, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't... Yeah, most of it's just Electron. Yeah. When I start getting death threats from accounts which appear to be in the middle of Siberia, it's you know, that's an awfully long way to come just to beat me up. <laughs> um, so, so a lot of this is... It, it's words, it's harassment, yeah, it, it's yeah. trying to, you know, it's an intimidation technique. They're, they're basically four different things that disinformation actors will do to try and mask what they're doing. And you can think of them as the four Ds. It's dismiss, 
distort, distract and dismay. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio.